Before we get into another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast, we want to say thank you to all our listeners. We appreciate your prayers, support, and encouragement. We also want to send a special thanks to our monthly financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to equip college students at historically black colleges and universities and facilitate seminars for pastors and leaders because of your financial support. If the Jude 3 Project has been a blessing to you, please consider becoming a monthly partner. No gift is too small or large, whether you give one time or monthly. We appreciate it. You can give online at jude3project.com by hitting the donate button or by mail by sending your gift to Jude 3 Project at P.O. Box 26206, Jacksonville, Florida, 32226. Thanks again. Now let's join the Jude 3 Project podcast. Enjoy. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew 3 Project. And I just want to apologize ahead of time for my voice. Uh, because I am fighting off a cold because of this weather. Um, But today we have a a very special guest who's no stranger to the Jew 3 Project, Dr. Monique Gatson. Welcome, Dr. Gatson. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for agreeing to be on the podcast again. You talked um, the last time on the podcast about is a church a toxic space Mm -hmm. and so that was really good people enjoyed that and so i thought it would be good to bring you back to talk about something that's um really something that's been brought to the forefront again because it's been brought to the forefront over and over again um this situation with r kelly Mm -hmm. um and with the docuseries surviving r kelly but before we get into that can you just give our audience a little bit about who you are and your background Yes. Okay. So I, I am Dr. Monique Gatson. Um, I have been counseling at a church here in Atlanta for the past 16 years. I am also director slash founder of uh, my organization, Transforming Visions, which exists basically to um, my mission statement is all about developing, building, strengthening, and restoring relationships. And that's from Wound the tomb, that's intrapersonal to interpersonal. And that's from um, our personal relationships to our professional relationships. So it's kind of the gamut of what I do. Um, I accomplish those through coaching and counseling and consulting, um, more specifically with, with church settings, but also with um, businesses, of course, and individuals. So um, I am married, been married for 23 years. I have two girls, one college graduate. Yes, praise the Lord. And um, yeah, and we we just try to rock and roll every day and see what God has for us to do and try to be about his business. So Yes, and I, I love that you have been spent 16 years um, in a, um, a Black church setting as a, a licensed uh, counselor. Um, so I'm pretty sure you've seen the gamut of different things that goes on in our community. Um, so uh, I think that 
adds another layer to the conversation that we're going to talk about today with the docuseries Survivor R. Kelly. Mm -hmm. uh, for those who haven't seen it, just give us a little, I've seen it, but for those who are watching that or listening that haven't haven't watched it, what is an overview of, of the docuseries? Um, <clears throat> and I, they, oh, wow. <laughs> I, it, it was, it was, it was um, brilliantly done. I, that's my, that was my first thought um, behind the, the shock factor of it all. It was brilliantly um, done. I love the way it unfolded the narrative of R. Kelly from his younger days um, to, you know, where he is presently um, talking about um, how he grew up, the inability to read and write, having this musical gift, um, how it, you know, ended up being um, what, what sustained him, um, what also rose him to stardom, um, what also drew a lot of people to him. Um, and then it also went to the dark places and talked about how he himself was um, sexually abused. One of his brothers mentioned that he also was sexually abused. And then it went into the, um, the unfolding of the story of how um, what we know um, as of today, most currently about young women who are um, living in these houses that he owns, who have been cut off from families. Um, two families haven't seen their daughters for like over three years or right at about three years, I think I understood. Um, how he ended up in so many relationships with young girls, underage young girls, his marriage to Aaliyah. Um, it talked a lot. We, we, um, the docuseries did a wonderful job of really peeking into those corners, um, like those places in our homes where we have those spider webs that we may not go into too often and those dust bunnies. The docuseries um, did a excellent job of going into those places, speaking to those people who um, can give credibility to the events that um, have unfolded over the years. And it also does a good job of building kind of um, this case. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking of the people on the docuseries who would say, well, there are two sides to every story. Okay, this is true. Um, and I'm assuming that they're meaning that, you know, R. Kelly has not necessarily had an opportunity to tell his side of the story, if you will. But um, I, I really don't know what do you say or what are you needing to hear from that person if you have this many people who will attest to the fact that he has had sexual relations with underage, um, you know, girls. So I think it just does a, a, a beautiful picture of, um, illustrating, um, giving us a narrative, um, almost to a point where we almost want to have some compassion for him in the very beginning. At least that's what I found myself doing. And I think that's just kind of me as a therapist, um, as I always try to um, understand the genesis of the issues that people bring, you know, they present in counseling. So there was this sense of compassion. There was this sense of um, sympathy, you know, for him and for his plight. And that kind of almost went out the window the more I heard and um, the more I saw and the more people that were interviewed um, in the docuseries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a, a, a good overview. Um, and there's been a lot of, as you kind of alluded to, people saying, well, there's two sides to every story. There's people that defend him mm -hmm. um, because they're like, this is alleged and we want to we want to note that these 
are things that are alleged mm-hmm. uh, things. So we want to say that. Uh, so we won't. So I won't get sued. Um, <laughs> I want to mention that ahead of time. But um, <clears throat> one of the things that I think is really important that I've heard that if we're going to talk about R. Kelly, then we have to talk about the fact that this still presents, persists in other areas, especially the church. Yes. Um, you have things that have went on with uh, leaders and um, where this types of, these types of behavior still persists in in um, in some of our church communities. Uh, we saw this recently with the church too. Um, it might not necessarily be in some spaces underage, in some cases it is, but mm-hmm. just the manipulation of women um, and men too that are, are vulnerable um, to leadership. Um, how does this, as you're watching this docuseries, how does this connect with a church culture that you've seen in your 16 years, not necessarily at your church, but just church, black church in general, because you are PK. So you, 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 <laughs> you've been in church all your life. So you've seen this um, kind of culture. Yes, absolutely. And just to even kind of give a little reference, since you do talk about being PK, yes, and I've grown up in church and been kind of in church, if you will, all my life. Um, one, that is part of what even propelled me to even go into um, counseling. Um, I just really felt the the tug of the Lord to really be um, apt to um, deal with people who are in church and their um, issues that they present with so many times. Um, and I can remember my dad even saying, you know, some of the, not that he gave us any specifics by any means, but, you know, talking about some of the complexities of the problems that people would bring. And it's just kind of like, I'm a listening ear and I'm an intercessor, you know, but um, where, how can we as the church equip ourselves to assist people who do come in with these um, complex issues, especially when they're kind of beyond the training and the scope of what most ministers and most, most what most pastors are able to do. So um, that sent me on my journey. And I, I, I was trained as a as a LPC, as you said, I got my clinical training. And then um, from that, I went and I did a training in spirituality, got a master's in spirituality and counseling specifically where it talks about the integration of the two of, of theology and psychology. So did that and then I went on and I did um, my PhD work was in marriage and family therapy. So what that has equipped me to be able to do is to deal with an individual um, as a, a, um, a an entity in and of itself, her or himself, I guess I should say, all the way to how do they relate in relationships um, and anywhere in between on that spectrum. Okay, so that's kind of how I, I kind of um, eased into what I'm what I am doing. But you're absolutely right. One of the things I started thinking about is um, <clears throat> how do we address this in the church, and do we address this in the church? You had Dr. Joe Vitali, I think that's how you pronounce her last name, on your podcast, and it instantly reminded me of some of the uh, dialogue you all had, and I, I actually went and, and re-listened to that, that particular broadcast, And I, um, because the thing that was the most compelling that she said to me, um, she said that was the most compelling to me, was 
about us having to to grapple with and sit with some of the uncomfortable places in the Bible where the Bible does use this explicit sexual language and it does talk about these um, events where women have been raped and you know carried away and um, these things and and do we hear messages um, in the church about this and um, you know like how do we how do we take this and how do we um, integrate this into daily living and um, and I think that that's that's missing. I, I think that um, we don't know how to sit with what is uncomfortable for long periods of time. Therefore, we just do in the words of um, I'm, I'm, I'm so blocking on the lady who termed the the uh, the had the term called spiritual bypass. So what we end up doing is we take a spiritual approach and we may, you know, just, we'll, we'll make these blanket statements, you know, well, God will take care of you. Um, you know, um, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And this is true. And this is scripture. And this is the word of God. Yes. But how do we take that and we unpack that? And how do we discuss this with people so that as they are carrying trauma, or they are hearing about these events, we are better equipping our um, our, our church churches and the, and the people who come and, and attend, we are better equipping them on how to kind of wrestle through these issues themselves. And how do we begin to have this conversation within our church? And I think that um, we do a poor job. <laughs> we do a poor job of that overall. I say that to say that I was um, even having a discussion with a group of women about um, the R. Kelly series. And, you know, we were all talking, we're all moms. And so it, it's, it's, it's pulling on all of our heartstrings. And, you know, we're talking about we really need to continue to pray for our children and, you know, um, pray for those that were victimized by R. Kelly. And I suggested to one of the, the women who was in this um, this group of people who happens to be a pastor's wife, I said, well, hey, have you guys ever thought about doing something like um, with your youth, like a, a curriculum on healthy sexual education? Do we in our churches talk to our children and our youth using healthy same, uh, sexual language from a Christian perspective? I don't remember getting that growing up. I don't remember my girls getting that, you know, as they've come up in church and everything. And I so often have the question, why? Uh, you know, are we as the church, are we really willing to allow the world to teach our children what thus says the word of God about what sex is, what its purpose is, how you can restrain yourself from being um, in relationships that are not of God, do we have these conversations? And so often um, we do not. And I think that that is a big, gaping, glaring hole in our churches. I think that that's an opportunity for the enemy to get in. Um, because what we are saying is we are failing to equip our children, our youth, our congregants with um, the word of God and how that looks when we are living in these current cultural times and um, with these events such as this that has happened with, um, you know, with R. Kelly. Yeah. And that kind of leads me to my next 
kind of thoughts as it relates to this, we see even in the um, R. Kelly documentary that he hid in plain sight and that he used spirituality, mm -hmm. um, inspiration mm -hmm. as a means to cover up, mm -hmm. um, cover up different things. So they mentioned like, I believe I could fly came out around the time the allegations came out. He did some, um, <clears throat> I Look to You by um, Whitney Houston. Um, he collaborated with gospel artists. Mm -hmm. Even when um, went to the church's refuge um, during this time and got some pastors to co-sign with him. Mm -hmm. um, and on as it relates to trying to say that he was innocent in this space. And then you fast forward to, I, think, I believe it's last year where he was on a record with Marvin Sapp. And they asked Marvin Sapp, hey, are you going to take him off your record um, because of the allegations? And he was like, you know, God used flawed men in the past to do extraordinary things, citing like a Noah or Moses. Mm -hmm. And it is a it is it is it is a thin line, I believe, between granting someone grace yes. and also understanding that this person needs to has may have allegedly done something illegal and it's been known by several different women and saying okay we need to hold you accountable yes. there's you can give people grace and say god can still work through you mm -hmm. but there's a level of accountability grace doesn't negate you from accountability and so i think there's this thing of people thinking when information is brought to them that, oh, I have to have grace because of my own failures. And they begin to look at themselves and put themselves in a position. And so there's this culture of protection mm -hmm. under the guise of grace and mercy. And it's like, no, I could call somebody to the carpet, especially if they're doing something illegal. Mm -hmm. um, and then saying, you know, God still has grace for you. Yes. And that grace could still be there for you in prison. Yeah. Um, uh, how do we, how does the church kind of perpetuate that behavior that you've seen and how can we move away from that? Yeah, I think it goes back to that whole concept of spiritual bypass. Um, that is just, again, where we tend to spiritualize any issue that is brought to the church. And with that spiritualizing, what we do is we bypass the psychological, we bypass the emotional, we bypass what might be even um, financial, you know, say if, if it were somebody stole money, it's like, okay, well, you still have to go and pay that money back or, you know, whatever the case may be. We bypass all of these um, emotional, mental, psychological, we, we bypass those processes. And then we just try to, as you say, we try to kind of bandage that with, um, something spiritual. Oh, you know, you came and you you are being attacked of the enemy or, you know, you, you come and you're saying how hard this is. And yes, I'm flawed, but I'm trying to live for the Lord as best as I can. Okay, this is good. But you're right. If there are allegations, and again, if there is proof to show, as it has been in R. Kelly's case, that you have been... Um, caught in the very act, if you will, um, where do we stop and say, okay, 
on an emotional level? Do you know what damage you're doing? What is even going on with you that this is okay for you to continue to do this? We don't, in the church, we don't stop and, 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 and open those places up, kind of like I was talking about going into those places where the cobwebs are. We, 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 we fail to kind of do that at times where um, the real answers, the real um, areas where the redemption can really take place we overlook those things because what we are listening for is a person saying, yes, I'm flawed, but I'm trying. You know, I love God. I remember the um, the segment on the um, the docuseries. I think it was when he was singing at Whitney Houston's funeral. I think that's when it was. And they were talking about even how some of the ministers stood up, you know, kind of behind him, almost kind of like in support. Like, oh, okay, you know, we see the... The, the spirit of the Lord working in him and working on him and everything. And um, yeah, so as long as we, we, we think we can filter it through that lens, then that's where we will stay. But if we don't ever kind of peel that back and kind of look and say, you know, what is going on with this man emotionally? What is going on with him mentally? What is going on with him psych- psychologically? And also what damage has he done? You know, with these um, these individuals that he has encountered or who have encountered him, so um, I, I I just think that um, because we are church, we tend to kind of stay in that lane of spirituality and spiritualizing, and I I get that and I understand that, but when when we continue to do that, what we are doing is, first of all, you, you talk about how does this perpetuate it ends up keeping the person who is the alleged perpetrator in a position where he or she can continue to do this. And it puts the victim in a position where he or she, their voice is silenced because then it almost becomes the preservation, if you will, of the system, as opposed to listening to the voices of the individual. Um, I was reading, I was studying in Esther, this a um, couple of weeks ago, and I remembered reading the whole story about when Vashti was, you know, ousted from the, the from the palace, and this whole process of bringing Esther, um, you know, or bringing women to be chosen for the next queen. And what really um, stood out to me was this whole process of when um, the king was consulting with the wise men, and what they had said is, "What we need to do is just." banish Vashti okay and let's bring in young virgins and let's choose whoever is going to be pleasing to you king and let's you know bring in another queen and what I what the way I read it and probably because I'm influenced as a as a systems thinker and and consultant is look at the preservation of what has always been you know, not once did anybody say, hey, you were drunk. <laughs> you know, maybe that wasn't a wise request of Vashti at that time. Um, never was that questioned. What happened was, let's just get her out and let's just bring somebody in that can preserve this system, that can preserve your ego, O King. <laughs> um, you know, so it is sometimes 
we do not do a good job at hearing the individual voices because it's more so about preserving um, the larger system than it is. Uh, and that, that's what we sacrifice. That, that becomes the lambs that, that become sacrificed. Mm -hmm. And that's a good point because that leads to my next um, observation that when, when people were talking about the systems in place that protected R. Kelly from this, uh, from being exposed mm -hmm. or uh, it was the fact that he had people helping him. So the point that um, his wife, his ex-wife made was like, because he couldn't read or write, mm -hmm. he had to have help to book flights. And it's mm -hmm. like, I'm thinking, okay, if somebody's booking flights for these girls, Mm -hmm. They have to be dumb not to notice a pattern because when you book a flight, you have to include your date of birth. Mm -hmm. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> number two, you saw that these girls were young. People were attesting these girls were young, um, but they didn't say anything. They were protecting, in essence, themselves mm -hmm. because they were looking out for themselves, their families, um, their financial benefit. They had something um, maybe clout or access to celebrities mm -hmm. they were protecting their best interests mm -hmm. and if, if they were protecting their family they're like well i gotta my family gotta eat mm -hmm. and so it's this whole idea i think that penetrates the church it's like we got to protect this structure mm -hmm. because there's a financial benefit to this structure mm -hmm. and if the if the if the leadership that goes if the leadership was popular and they go down our whole financial structure goes down. That means my children can't eat. My spouse can't eat. Um, so in essence, I'm not necessarily looking out. I don't necessarily care about, I understand that this is bad, mm -hmm. but I'm looking at how am I going to provide for my family? Mm -hmm. And so I think it becomes a selfish act where it's like, I don't see people as in the church as a community, as a body of Christ, as my brothers and sisters, blood then becomes thicker than water, which is the common saying, but in the body of Christ, we're supposed to be the body of Christ. So it's not just my family that I need to protect, it's the body of Christ. And so our individualistic thinking can kind of perpetuate the same behavior that happened in R. Kelly's camp. It's like, I'm concerned about my family and if we're going to eat not the body as a whole how do we shift um because there is an individualistic focus in our preaching that kind of can perpetuate these kinds of behaviors of i got to look out for my family i got to take out for my spouse and my children which is true mm -hmm. but at what cost right right at what cost <laughs> and that's and that's the big question um yeah and i and i think that we don't talk um, as much about that whole individualistic perspective versus the collective um, um, perspective. Um, we do. We do tend to kind of isolate um, and we dismember the body, basically. I have, I did some consulting work with a church who wanted to do um, a, a support group. And I was like, oh, this is an excellent idea. And, you know, so I'm telling them um, it was a support group for um, for grieving members. And I said, excellent, definitely, you know, good ministry to establish. But then I started talking to them about policies and procedures. You know, what are you guys going to do? 
<laughs> excuse me, if you have one who comes that's suicidal, you know, what if you, you, you're going to do if there's one who comes that is, um, you know, maybe intoxicated or um, high or otherwise because they are, they are in so much pain from their grief, but, you know, they're, they've been medicating with substance, if you will. How are you going to deal with these issues? And so the response came to me is that, you know, well, all we're going to do is uh, we just want to minister to the people who are hurting and to the people who are grieving. Okay. But you cannot not prepare for this as a whole. You know, you can't just say we are a support group over here in the corner of the church meeting in the basement and not address what is your policy and your procedure if this were to be the case. And of course, that meant that they had to look at their church as a whole, because this was um, a, a series of meetings. The first meeting was with the, 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 the woman who um, created the group. But then we had to come back together and meet with the business manager because it, it forced them to have to look at their church as a whole. What do we do if this um, if this happens? So I think that. You know, again, so, so many times, especially the ministries of the church can be so hyper focused on what their mission is as an individual group and as an individual ministry that we might sometimes fail to plug into what is a larger system that we have to be concerned with, because that could have ended up, you know, resulting in negligence or risk um, that that goes back a liability, I should say, that will fall back on the church say someone comes who is suicidal we don't know how to handle this and therefore this person leaves and you know goes and, and takes his or her own life that can come back did we know this and did we not intervene in some shape form or fashion that can come back and that can haunt the church you know as a liability so i think that we we definitely have to shift that thinking from more individual individual thinking to collective thinking. And I think it goes back to um, so often I say that a lot of it starts with church leadership. Um, and we just, we, we do church leadership um, kind of retreats and um, trainings, but I, I, I have not yet seen, I'll say it in the, 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 the spaces that I've been in, where this training for our leadership looks like, okay, how do we deal with um, young women in our church who are saying that they're uncomfortable by the way that certain deacons and or ministers may hug them during fellowship time? Um, do we have these conversations about, okay, how is it that we are going to ensure that we are not going to um, just allow anybody to um, volunteer with our, our, um, our children or our youth. I, at the church where I, I've been, um, I, I helped to um, develop a program there to do the training and the implementation of a program to make certain that at least we had a process in place for people who would come in to volunteer as opposed to, as you're saying, you know, okay, especially when we're talking church family. Oh, this is Uncle Bubba, <laughs> you know, or this is Aunt Joe or Aunt Marie or whomever, you know, they've been in church all their lives and they want to come and work with the children. Okay, that's fine. But you got to go through this process because we're having to think of more than just you being offended. <laughs> and that's what sometimes happens. I'm offended that I got, why do I have to do this? I've been in the church. I've been teaching Sunday school 25 years. Why are you telling me I need to have a criminal background check? 
because we are trying to protect the system. We're trying to protect the children within the system. We are even trying to protect the adults, you know, within the system. So again, sometimes you're going to just kind of have this pushback because what happens is if a system has been created around whatever it's been created, the, the tension is always going to be to keep that system as it is. So anything that comes along to kind of threaten that and cause that to expand or have to open up or shine a light on, it's just like, oh, no, we're going to push back on that. And I think that um, collectively we have to push back on that individual perspective. Why do we have to do all of this? Why do we um, need this? We have to kind of start saying, well, why is it that you as an individual are... Um, kind of resisting this shift that needs to take place for the betterment and the protection of this group at large. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's helpful. That leads me to the next one question and thought that I have as it relates to when we talk about leadership and protecting leadership, I think for Christians <clears throat> and leaders <clears throat> and influencers, we have to be cognizant of this, that because we do so much good, per se, mm -hmm. that nobody necessarily will believe the bad um, from somebody who they feel like is low on the totem pole, mm -hmm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. So you have this influencer that may create, uh, create programs for food for the needy in the city who uh, baptized a child, who went and saw a parent's child in jail, mm -hmm. who went and bailed out somebody's child, mm -hmm. who was there, um, you know, every step of the way, mm -hmm. helped pay light bills, uh, fed the needy, everything good, we think, intervened, saved marriages. Mm -hmm. And so this person has done a tremendous amount of good in the community, mm -hmm. but they may also have a dark space or dark side. Yes. That dark side may be violating children, may be womanizing, yes. all of these things. So when somebody who's been a victim of them bring it to the attention of leadership, the tendency is to say, oh, I don't believe you, or that couldn't be such and such. Right. Um, when in reality, a lot of leaders are narcissistic. A lot of leaders know how to manipulate the system, yes. know how to do enough good to uh, mask the bad so people won't believe them. Mm -hmm. um, and so in this case, how do we kind of untangle that for folks who maybe have a hard time believing victims because of the good that a person does in the community or does in the church? Yeah. And I think that, <clears throat> again, the dynamic that is going to be present in religious organizations and or churches that are not going to be present, that is not going to be present in other places is, again, not only that spiritual bypass, but that spiritual abuse. And if we are not having trainings among our leadership about spiritual abuse and what that looks like, then I think that we are um, we are being negligent with our churches because you're absolutely right. Um, just because, you know, Reverend Dr. Bishop Elder, whomever, you know, has done all of these things and, and doesn't even have to be that person. Like you're saying, it could just be the lay person who's done, you know, good in the community. But if we still do not address what spiritual abuse looks like, if we do not um, understand what spiritual bypass does 
for us in the in the faith communities, then we're going to continue to see how this does perpetuate this as an issue. If we're never ever going to, this, maybe I can explain it even this way. When I talk to premarital couples, you know, they come in and tell me, oh, we never argue. And, oh, you know, we're best friends. And oh, we love to do everything together. And I go, this is awesome. Great. Now, tell me what problems you actually have. And they're like, well, we really don't have too many. All right. As a therapist, I know to get in there and to assess more than likely that's not true because it, you cannot be in that close of a sustained relationship and there not be any kind of conflict. Right. So I, I'm getting in there, you know, I'm trying to get into those places where are the, where are the, the dust mites and the, the, the dust bunnies, you know, and the cobwebs. And that's where I began to shine my light on the relationship. Okay. And so then that's where, you know, things begin to kind of open up and we see what's really going on. I tell those couples that, okay, if you have all of these things that are good, I don't need to focus there. I need for us to kind of talk about, hey, what's going to kind of come up and start nipping you on the behind later on in life down the road? That's what I say. Let's look at those places. And I think that that's what we're having to do when it comes to, um, you know, church leadership. Are we are we um, are we interviewing people? Are we listening to are we keeping files on? Well, this person has had an allegation. This person has had an accusation. This person said this person made me feel a little uncomfortable. Do we have enough information that is centralized, if you will, that we can look at a person and say, you know, that person does hang out with the kids a little bit too often. Or this person is always um, kind of eager to take the kid from one point to another point. We have to kind of stop and ask ourselves, yeah, that's Uncle John, that's Deacon Smith, you know, that's whomever the case may be. But are we willing to do what is that hard work? And instead of kind of going with the spiritual, um, you know, the looking at the, the spiritual works, if you will, are we willing to kind of cut that and dissect it? I, I use this example too. You know, if, if the scripture talks about we should know um, a person, a Christian, by the fruit that they bear, right? So when you go and buy fruit, like the other day, I was going to buy some um, mandarins. So mandarins, and you know, it was I picked up the bag, and it was like one that was molded at the bottom of the bag. I'm like, Ugh, okay, no, don't want that bag, and put the entire bag down. But if I bought another bag and I didn't see any that were molded, and I'm like, yay, good, got a good bag. And then if I come home and I peel it and I eat it and it doesn't taste too good. It's like, oop, didn't know that that wasn't a good one until I peeled back and actually went in to see, um, as opposed to ones that are very obvious, you know? So I think that we have to find ways to not just kind of take people, I'm sorry to say it, but at their word, you know, but what is that process to really say, okay, thankfully you are doing all of these good things but we also need to stop and say, well, Mary came to us and said that, you know, your hand lingers a little bit too much on her back when you hug her or, you know, whatever else might be um, um, an example or something that a person says. We just have to really, really be very careful to um, create a system in such a way that we have that check and we have that balance to be able to determine if this person, it, we, to make sure 
that we all are not blinded by the things that this person is doing, sort of like they said in the R. Kelly thing, where, where then like all of these dark places are now being covered up. When you, when we, you know, especially as a, as a therapist and um, even I think some of the beauty of being trained as a therapist and as a systems thinker is that I tend to analyze those things. So I'll see the behavior and I'm going, yay, good. However, and that question mark for me is usually what takes me to places that, you know, um, a lot of people really usually don't like for me to have to go. But I'm also kind of saying if I know profiles of spiritual abusers, if I know profiles of some Christian leaders or spiritual leaders, if you will, if I know what spiritual bypass looks like, and if I put all of this together, is that what I'm looking at in front of me? And if it is, then it propels me to say, hey, we this is something that we need to address. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's the I think the hardest part for people is that spiritual that the looking at people in light of the good they do and not being able to believe that. Mm -hmm. And I think what we have to remember is we shouldn't deify anybody. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when we deify people, we say, well, they can't do that. But Mm -hmm. remember that we are all but dust and -hmm. capable of doing the most malicious and evil things in this flesh. And because of that, Somebody could be doing extremely good work in the community, could mm-hmm. be extremely helpful to people, could be changing the lives of thousands, mm-hmm. but destroying the lives of right. several at the same time. You get, People can walk into gum and do good works and evil works um, at the same time. So I think it is, it is, I, I, um, I heard T.I. say this, uh, he was on the Breakfast Club and they were talking about um, you have all these different, I don't know if it's Breakfast Club, one interview when he was like, you have all these different sides. You're a ladies man, you're a family man, you're a social justice advocate. Um, and that he's like, yeah, I'm all that at the same time. He's like, I stand up for social justice rights. And I'm also essentially, he was alluding to the fact that he's cheating on his wife. Like he's doing all of these things and people are celebrating the good he's doing. Mm-hmm. And then he's inadvertently hurting somebody that he supposedly cares about at the same time. And it and and people don't understand like people do these things at the same time. And if you think through that, you can understand like, yes, there's a level of you can commend a person, but you also must pay attention to those people who are on the margins, the women, yes, the children that might be ignored and their voice. And I'm, I'm and I know that every allegation isn't true. Yes, yes. There is several times where we overlook things or just push things to the side because there's so many other people being helped and we sacrifice people on the margins because we say there's a multitude of people. And even Jesus left the 99 just for the one to show how much one missing sheet matters. And we have to move to the fact that says, hey, I appreciate the thousands you're helping, mm-hmm. but you're damaging several people mm-hmm. um, that might not equate to the same, but we still have to take care of them. Absolutely. And I think we have to even be careful. And I can't remember who even mentioned the term about minimizing. And so, again, when we see some of these things, you know, that's kind of like seeping through the cracks, if you will, we tend to minimize that as opposed to say, like, hmm, 
you know, I'm noticing this or I'm noticing that. But we tend to want to kind of downplay that. And it's like, no, 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 that's not anything, you know. Um, and even um, I think about when we um, and, and, and this is some of some of my conversation is, is based on, you know, many conversations over the 16 years of people who, you know, I've, I've crossed paths with um, either in that church setting or outside of that church setting that will say things like, you know, um, yeah, I've been sexually abused, but I don't want to go back to church. And I'm saying, well, you know, what is it about church that's keeping you from wanting to go back to church? Well, I don't feel, you know, strong. I don't feel like I'm faithful enough. I don't feel spiritual because, you know, again, this spiritual bypass thing is going to be in operation. Um, you know, the Lord is going to take care of that. You need to get on up, you know, keep pressing forward and everything, you know, and, and it's the clap, clap, clap and praise God, you know, as opposed to, oh, my God. Again, kind of going back to like what Dr. Vitali said. Do we sit with the horrific event that this individual is sharing with us that he or she has gone through? And um, and I so often say, you know, it is good. It is good for churches to have, you know, counselors on staff. Thank you, Lord. Or um, have, you know, those who are partnering even with mental health clinicians. But at the same time, we can still be perpetuating if we don't take those individual stories. And I'm not meaning that we're putting the individual on um, display, but their occurrences, their events, their experiences. Are we not putting those things um, in the forefront to have a centralized um, discussion around this? And when we don't do that, then I understood what she was saying. You know, it's like I can go back to church and if there are a few people who know what has happened to me, then if I don't come with hands raised in the air, you know, ready to praise God again, if you will, or, um, you know, that I can I can use all of my spiritual language and my Christianese, if you will, and apply it to this situation, then I'm looked at as being less spiritual. I'm looked at as not being faithful enough. And that is another dynamic that we don't, you know, we tend to not talk about and we tend to not um, address. Everything can't be rushed through. You know, everything cannot be rushed through. And and what do we do with those uncomfortable spaces where there may be someone who would have unfortunately killed themselves due to the trauma that they have experienced? You know, and, and sometimes the language that we use, you know, it's going to be that, OK, you know, that they were they were weak. <laughs> they were not faithful enough. And again, it's like a re-victimization of the victim. And we have to recognize, again, that dynamic in our churches, and we have to be um, aware. And, and again, I'm a believer that it's going to start kind of t um, top down and in training, having someone such as myself, not that I'm kind of like tooting my horn, if you will, but I have gone into these settings and I'm trying to say, hey, leaders, this exists. So how is it that we are going to address our system? What are we going to implement in our system to at least communicate that, hey, we're not condoning um, 
we're not condemning, we're not condoning, yes, any of this, this, this behavior, you know, these horrific acts, but not only are we going to just put lip service to that, we're going to do something about it. So again, it could look like a something in terms of, let's make sure we do have a risk management program in place. Let's make sure we do screen, you know, our volunteers um, that work with our children, our youth, our elders, or whomever the case may be. Yeah, let it look like somebody coming in who can properly handle talking about sexual education and talking about, you know, how um, kids can understand how people will prey upon them. One of the things that struck me um, in the documentary was so many of the girls after the fact were saying, I was so naive. I was so naive. I was so naive. We know this as older people. We know that they are naive. We know that they don't understand what they're getting into. Do we run interference for them? You know, do we go to the guy and say, stop smiling at that girl? You know, you know, these young girls are influenced and they, you know, are ooh, giggly, giggly when you are giving them any kind of that attention. Do we ever run interference like that? So um, I just think that, um, you know, again, we just we really have to get to a place where we are willing to um, address those dynamics that are going to be. Uh, specific to those institutions and we really are going to have to look differently at how we train our um, our leadership and start allowing that thing to trickle down to even the leaders over the various ministries within the churches as well yeah and I think that's so vital as you are articulating to kind of prepare young uh, people that are older to like check check their fellow church members um, or check their fellow leaders Right. When they see it, but also training young people to, yes, you respect your pastor, you respect your mm-hmm. leader, but there's a line mm-hmm. where respect ends and mm-hmm. you need to say, no, you're inappropriate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think what happens, especially in our community and in, in, in all communities, this could happen, but I see it a lot in, in our communities because in church, in our black community, people, leaders were black, black churches were the place that gave people dignity. Mm-hmm. So leaders hold on to the title bishop, mm-hmm. apostle, you know, doctor, reverend, <laughs> and hold dear to these titles because they get reverence in church spaces that they don't get in the world because yeah. of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. What that does too is create a culture. Mm-hmm of reverence that mm. is sometimes unhealthy. Yes. Because it goes outside of biblical authority. Yes. So it, it almost is deifying. Mm. Or oh, I can't touch it, it's like touch not the anointed one, the man of God using yeah. David, yes. um, David and Saul, uh David about Saul comment. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, don't don't say this about the man of God. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, say it about the man or woman of God mm-hmm. if they are doing something that is inappropriate. Mm-hmm. If they are molesting, if they are violating people, mm-hmm. yes, that mm-hmm. doesn't, they don't get protection from that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think training our kids, mm-hmm. our young people that are coming up, yes, reverence the man of God. They look out for your souls. They pray for you. They have to give an account mm-hmm. as shepherds. Mm-hmm. But there is two-way point. Yeah. Um, and, and saying, you know, giving children, um, I also want you to speak on this parents, believing their kids, 
-hmm. church members believing young people, mm -hmm. believing women. Um, how can just um, believing young men, how can we just do a better job at that? Mm -hmm. And again, I think that that goes back to creating a system. Because if you don't, a process, I should say, within the system, because if you don't know where to go and if, you know, and, and, and what, so, okay, let me just kind of filter it through my experience. If someone is in my office and if he or she is saying that um, during the time of fellowship, this one particular person always makes a beeline for me. And when they hug me, you know, it's a squeeze tight, like I can't get away a rubbing of my back and even uh, just allowing their hands to just kind of drop down, but all happen to brush certain parts of my body. All right. I don't know what to do with that. Okay. I don't know what we need to do with this either. So then that leaves me to believe, you know, as an individual within a system, all right, I need to go and I need to go and say, Hey, where do people take this? when this is coming into, um, in, 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 you know, for example, my office, where do we go with this beyond those four walls so that we can, um, you know, eradicate even if nothing else, the, um, the, the, not, the, the fact that we might be even naive that that's happening. So for example, it very well may be, okay, I talked to, secu to, to security and I'm just going, hey, you know, I had a couple of people that have come, mentioned this particular's name, you know, a couple of times, um, could look like that, could look like, hey, before we release people during this fellowship time, can we just make a blanket, you know, statement and say, just go welcome somebody, maybe just extend your hand and just, you know, shake their hand ask permission, may I hug you before we just kind of take it upon ourselves and we just kind of, you know, um, just kind of reel this person in and before they know it, you know, they're in a bear hug. We just do not know what kind of experiences people have had. People have had some traumatic experiences and that can trigger things for them, making them feel as though, okay, you know, this is not feeling comfort um, comfortable as it didn't feel comfortable when this or this or that happened to me. So I think that we have to have a process in place where do people go to be able to say, this is happening to me? But here's the trick part. Where do we go within this system to say that, that other members of the system won't get the message and extinguish the message or silence the message? Because again, if the system is such that is all about protecting itself, and if you don't have, say, like a brook in that in the middle of that desert, are people going to get any relief whatsoever? Mm -hmm. So that goes yeah. back to again that system, that that leadership training, and that ability to be able to say, "Hey, I'm not saying that you guys don't have something in place, but I am saying, have you thought about these things? Have you thought about these are experiences that people have?" day in and day out outside of the church and then they're coming inside of the church and they're having to fight this same thing you want to answer questions like well why is church attendance you know dwindling or whatever oh it might be some of these things you know may be contributing factors so i do believe that church leadership have you know need to bring in different types of training different types of discussions and I'm not saying that they need to necessarily walk away from that particular time with a solution, but they at least need to be able to sit with it and begin to wrestle with it and then say, yeah, how are we collectively 
going to have a response to whatever is going on. And when we communicate that to the masses, then the masses are able to feel a little bit better and say, okay, we're going to be looked after. Even those of us who are marginalized, we are going to be looked after and we're not going to be sacrificed, you know, for the, the, the good, if you will, of the system. Mm -hmm. The burden sometimes is on us as parishioners to say, yeah, you give me a word. Yeah, I leave motivated. I leave in power. But at the same time, this isn't right. Yes. And so you can't be a, a, a prominent leader without people following you. Mm -hmm. so the there's a level of burden put on the congregation mm -hmm. to say, you know what? If we don't, if we stop showing up, <laughs> we stop you know, if we don't hold this person accountable, then this behavior will persist. Right. Um, but if we if we demand accountability, mm -hmm. this behavior has to cease or this leader has to go. Yeah. And yeah. so we don't um, measure effectiveness of a preacher by the ways in which they make us feel. Yes. And by the encouragement that comes, we measure them by the 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 character they present. Mm -hmm. in private or in public. Mm -hmm. And it's not just you do good things, but you are good in, in, in the sense of, well, no one is good but God. You can mm -hmm. make that theological claim. But <laughs> you are trying your best to be obedient mm -hmm. in every aspect of life and not living a life inconsistent with God's word. Yeah. And so I think, you know, we have to hold our leaders to a higher standard. We have to hold ourselves to a higher standard because some of us, don't challenge because we are a mess personally. So we like mm -hmm. me challenging you exposes me. So right. let's all of us just keep covered um, and live our merry little lives. Right. Um, so the challenge is on all of us to say like, what are we going to do mm -hmm. um, to protect the next generation, to protect our current generation, mm -hmm. and even to bring a, bring some healing to the the victims, I mean, the, the victims and the villains, because mm -hmm. usually those who become villains at one time were victims yeah. that went unchecked. Mm -hmm. um, and so how do we bring healing to even them? Because yeah. I can't be changed until I know yeah. that there's a problem and I repent. Um, and so uh, all of those things. What would be your final word for this? I know we've we've been long, but we I think we covered a lot of ground and I hope it'd be helpful to those who to hear um, and to kind of wrestle with yeah. uh, what, what uh, will be your final words and how can people get in contact with you and what resources would you recommend for them? Yeah, um, my final words would be, yeah, churches that have been silent on this topic really need to do a serious self-examination and ask themselves, why are we are allowing these conversations to take place everywhere else outside of the church, but not here inside of the church? Um, if we don't know how to do it, if we're uncomfortable doing it, then we definitely need to seek out a consultant or somebody to come in to help us to be able to say, hey, we want to communicate that we are um, a community, um, that we have a culture here that is um, essentially safe for everyone. But how does this look for our um, individual um, institution? I think that churches are, are going to have to kind of stop and ask those questions because as, as the times persist, 
we're going to continue to have these kind of issues that are going to stare us in the face. And if we are not ready with a response, then that lack of response is a response. And, um, and, 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 and that response, is that what we want people to walk away um, from the church saying, oh, okay, well, if they're not going to say anything, then, and they're gone, you know? So I, I do believe that we do have to ask ourselves, if we're not saying anything about these things, why are we not? Um, are we inviting people in who can properly handle these discussions? And if we're not, then why? Is there some preservation again of the system that is trying to take place? Um, and I also just believe that um, if you can't do everything that you want to do, do something, start somewhere. And again, um, maybe seek out some consulting about what that can look like and how is it that you can find a starting place and start that process of even just um, creating that synergy just among your, your various you know, people, your, your, your ministries, your, um, your spiritual leaders, whatever the case may be. That, those will be some of my thoughts. Um, yeah, well, I'm trying to kind of keep them down to about three, but I have like zillions of that. But um, that, that's what I would say with that. Um, um, people can get in touch with me. I am the most active, unfortunately. I'm sorry, y'all, but on Instagram. Um, so my, my Instagram is Transforming Visions. Um, they can they can go there and message me. Um, I, my website, I think, is DrMoniqueSmithGatson.com. So they can find me there. Um, resources, I am blocking on the name, but I know that I've read several articles about spiritual um, bypass. There are people who have written about spiritual abuse. And I don't know if you have show notes or something, maybe I can kind of send out um, a, a list of people because right now I'm, I'm just, I'm blocking on, on names of those. But, um, but there, there are um, things that have been definitely written about um, spiritual abuse and spiritual, um, spiritual bypass. And I think that especially again, for church leaders to really recognize that that is something that is going to be unique to churches and that we cannot continue to ignore those dynamics because in ignoring those dynamics, we are ignoring a whole lot of, um, you know, um, unpleasant and horrific events in the lives of our parishioners that are going unaddressed. And we can't, as a church, we can't afford to continue to do that. Tony Evans said, um, that the 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 work of the enemy in the Old Testament was you know through the through the genocide and the and the killing of the um, the the baby boys and I'm I'm blocking even on what he was talking about that specifically but I what I remembered is that what he was saying with the New Testament is that it is to affect the mute the, it is to mute the church's effectiveness so if we are the church and if we are silent we're having to ask ourselves why are we muted on these particular topics and if we are are we really fulfilling you know what God has given us to do in terms of um, you know, taking care of um, equipping, especially our leaders to do the work of the ministry, which is to, to care for the sheep. Awesome. Well, thank you, Dr. Gaston. This has been a rich conversation and I know uh, people will be challenged and inspired by it and hopefully um, we'll take these things seriously and, and, and get consulting from yourself and others like you to help be better equipped to engage these issues um, because I believe it's important for the church and it is 
something that we need to do to be the salt of the earth um, and the light as well. So thank you again. I appreciate you. And thank you all for tuning in to another episode of the G3 Project podcast. We're helping you know what you believe and why you believe. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jew3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember, we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3Project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.